never let you go. So you never let me go. I will be a journey and you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The B-Side for the film stage. And I hope you all had a Merry Christmas. Um, if, if you celebrate Christmas, hope you're having a happy holidays. Um, We're a God-fearing podcast, man, so... <laughs> It's Christmas or nothing. No. Um, but uh, yeah, I hope it's been a good holiday season for all of you listening as we approach the new year. And in fact, that is our subject today for the B-side. We are forgoing Christmas movies and Christmas B-sides, forgoing Hanukkah B-sides and Kwanzaa B-sides. And um, I have to set up, we are doing New Year's set slash themed movies b-sides for this year and new year's as a holiday i have to admit not a big fan so you kind of liked one of our movies then i would imagine because it's well, sort of half about that right like you know well, well yeah we'll two yeah one that. of our movies is 200 cigarettes which is kind of it's it, dab- like explicitly about about kind of the the Obl- uh, what's the like just the obligatory, yeah, obligatory nature, nature of yes nature. sure sure yeah i, I feel i feel similar like this is gonna i don't want to come off unpatriotic but whatever <laughs> it's a similar feeling i have about july 4th i i like july 4th more than new year's eve slash new year's um but probably just because of the content and context of July Fourth, like it's summer, it can be the beach, more it can laid, be the, it's more laid back. It could it can be the grill, know, sure, sure. right? Like you know, as a New Yorker who now lives in Pittsburgh, it's cold, right? That's one thing, sure. and then it's just it's very obligatory. Yeah, it's yeah. very much like why are we celebrating? When I always exactly that, like New Year's when you had when when you had concrete plans at a new year like i mean i as you know dan a few years ago you would throw a few when we do when we did a few years in a row yeah Yeah. when doing in during normal times i just started hosting it because i was like i don't want to go out any like i don't want to well but that's what i think you know this is kind of my point when i was in my 20s and you know i was single for a moment early on there and i guess it's more exciting if if you're single maybe and there's that thought of like like I would go uptown or downtown or wherever, like, and I would maybe go to like a, you could like, you could go to a bar in New York as I remember it. And it was kind of like, maybe there would be a cover or like some sort of surcharge. But the thought was like, there was some sort of ticket. And it was right. like, if you got it, that was always nice where it's like, okay, I'm going to go to this bar on the Upper West be, Side with my, with my friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll get there at 10 or 11 and then we'll party till a one or two and we'll stumble home or we'll get the taxi. You know, this is pre-Uber. Oh God, Jesus. Um, <laughs> but I am dying. But um, they, it could be fun. Don't get me wrong. Like I had great New Year's. It's like you, one of the best New Year's I think I ever had was I was missing a tooth. Do you remember that? Uh-huh. Yeah. You were at that New Year's. Uh-huh. I was like needed dental work. And you just kept putting ice in your mouth, I remember. Because I like lost a filling or a cap or something, but it was during that period in the holidays where like it was hard to book a dentist appointment because it was just like, you know, spotty availability. 
and yeah, being however old, we were 23, younger maybe, we, oh, we were went, it, that, that's, the, that's the New Year's I'm thinking of. We went to, it was Upper West Side, some just like Irish pub <laughs> that I think my buddy Jake put together. And we like just drank the night away and I just kept putting ice. Oh, you know what it was? It was a root canal. Yeah, yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. It was a, it was a, it was a burgeoning root canal. Which, if anybody, if, if you've had it, it's very painful. And I just kept numbing it with ice while getting having more drinks. The thought being, I mean, somewhat correctly, I mean, that I could of, get through yeah. the night, and I did get through yeah. the night. I mean, I did. Maybe not the healthiest way to deal with it, but sure. <laughs> the next day probably wasn't great. I, I, you know. Anyway, so you know, there can be good memories, and like we said. Are are the the second movie we're going to discuss? Two hundred cigarettes capture some of that. Um, but yeah, just to I mean, just to list our three today, we're going to keep it short. We're going to do Mystery of the Wax Museum from nineteen thirty three, directed by Michael Curtiz. We're going to do Two Hundred Cigarettes, as we mentioned, directed by Risa Bramon Garcia from nineteen ninety nine. And finally, we're going to end it with a banger, a remake. Wolfgang Peterson's 2006 remake of the Poseidon Adventure, I simply called Poseidon. Poseidon, I, which I suppose you could maybe say is a debatable B-side, but you know, uh, I think it is. No, 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 no. I, I'm gonna no. That is a B-side movie because who remembers Poseidon? Sure. It didn't do well. You know, I think. Yeah, like if you're doing Josh Lucas B sides, <laughs> yes, okay. Is that a B side? Well, say if we did no, Josh Lucas B sides, we might still well co- cover the whole career, right? I mean, at that point, right? You would, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like the ones that I mean, I would just think Sweet Home Alabama doesn't, you know, yeah, that's an A side. No, but it I would be like Stealth for sure. Stealth, um, an unfinished life, oh, God. which is a movie Around I've always bend, wanted. Maybe to... Glory Road. Oh, I like another, another. Those are can I? Those are all good movies. Let me just say. <laughs> I feel, like been around, I feel like but... Around the Bend is 100% a B-side. Oh, yeah. yeah. Around the Bend, I, I remember liking Glory Road, and... maybe. A li- I feel like maybe Yeah, no, Glory Road was a hit. I, don't, I think that's an A-side. I think that's a yeah. Lucas A-side. Glory that's Road. just his, kinda, new, that's his Hoosiers, right? Like, that's what that is? Well, yeah, it's the story about the it, it's, it's, it's the all-black team. Oh, that's is that f- based on a true story? Yes, 100%. Oh, I did not, I did not know Yeah, that. it's... um, okay. And he's the coach... And I remember it being, you know, in the world coach, of those. I think it's Coach White Savior. I think that's his name. John White Savior. Yeah, is his John name. White Savior. No, it's it's um, yeah, the nineteen sixty six NCAA Division University Division Basketball Championship. Don Haskins is the coach, who's Josh Lucas. Texas Western, it was called back then. Um, all black starting lineup, the first in NCAA history. And it's um, about how Texas wasn't a, wasn't a fan of that. Uh, the, the the other colleges he, they were not they were not into it. Here's a question: What where was Glory Road release wise in relation to We Are Marshall? I believe the same year. Okay, that's funny. <laughs> I, I almost think I, I'm going to check. But I believe We Are Mar- and non Matthew McConaughey. Well, Marshall was a. That was a high school 06. team? Was that a high no, school team or a college team? No, it's, it's a... Funerals it, it, and it, today. No, no, no. Marshall University is, is oh, a college. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. So, so they both did like college sport coach. Like Yeah, Glory Road came out, I want to say, yeah, very beginning of the year, January 06. 
and um funerals end today we are marshall came out l- at very end of the year december so okay all right so. but yeah same year yeah so lucas was having like a good little oh six i guess right I mean, look, this is the moment. I mean, right. we talk that about was, it. It was like his Colin Farrell moment. His like, hey, we're just going to put this dude in. Yeah, Josh and, Lucas, and, like, you know, I mean, I mean, we might as well do a quick Lucas thing. I mean, so Lucas, right, he's around for a while. He's in things like, right, American Psycho he's in. Yeah, which you can, you can You can count on me. I, if I'm remembering, he's the shitty father. Oh, hey, to anybody interested, JoshLucas.com is available. Ooh, you know, you so can just get it. Somebody out there, but like with more acumen than me, just do so, do something with that. But he's in like his two thousand. He's in the Weight of Water, the Catherine Bigelow movie, right? He's in American Psycho. He's in You Can Count on Me. Those are three. You know, you know, he's making like interesting how... choices, kind of. And then, there. and then, yeah. dude, check this out. And then, oh, one, The Deep End, which which just came up on a uh, Cinefile game night. Very good movie. He's in prominent role session nine lest we forget great movie brad anderson oh, david crusoe right. peter mullen yeah, yeah very good yeah. movie that's also a one and he's also got kind of the cad role in a beautiful mind oh yeah he's pretty so he's so he's very much like in these movies he's in this great indie called coastlines the next year um coastlines good movie timothy oliphant um uh and Josh Lucas and Josh Brolin oh, uh, are in that. Sarah Winter as well. That's a good movie. Same year, 02, obviously, Sweet Home Alabama. Right. He's Which the I villain. Feel like that's the moment, right? Like, at, well, that, that's so I think Sweet Home hits and you go like, Reese is already big. That's her coming out party. And Sweet Home right. is an American Psycho reunion, which is funny because Reese is in American Psycho. Reese is in American Psycho. Yeah, and then, yeah, I, I, forgot about, I forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. So that's a huge hit. He's like very sexy in it. And I think. Like, that's the closest if, to touching McConaughey he'll ever get if we're, t- if we're, if it's like a comp, you know, like. Very McConaughey. Yeah, very true. Big hit. So then it's like, okay. Then the next year, he's the villain in Hulk, Ong Lee's Hulk. Right. Which he's got a smaller role in Secondhand Lions, which is a pretty, actually good movie. Um, and then. And then he's got the role in the indie movie Wonderland, which is about the John, Wonderland John murders, Holmes. John Holmes, yeah. which I can't remember how prevalent. But then, dude, I mean, this is the thing. It's kind of funny now going through it. He made a lot of interesting movies. Oh, four, he's in David Gordon Green's Undertow, produced by right. Ter- Terrence Malick, right. him and Dermot Mulroney. He's in Around the Bend that same year, as you mentioned. So, like, he's in these small movies. And then I think, as you said... 0506 is the moment where it's like, okay, Josh Lucas, can you lead a big Hollywood movie? And you get stealth, you get an unfinished life, which kind of gets unceremoniously dumped, but is definitely like a prestige picture, right? Yeah. Glory Road and Poseidon. That's 05 and 06. And, you know, they all, other than Glory Road, kind of stumble, right? And stealth. Is I'm being nice. I mean, stealth is one of the biggest, you know, flops in the history of, right? It's like top. It's on those lists of like profit loss. You mean with original songs by Incubus, it didn't succeed, bro? Fucking Beal, (laughs) Fox coming off the Oscar. Right. And, um, And Lucas. And then after that, it becomes kind of like a mix of, right, he's... 
you know, he'll he'll pepper in a supporting role in a big movie, but he's in a lot of small movies, right? He's and lest you forget, dude, he literally plays not Matthew McConaughey in, in a Matthew the, McConaughey the movie, Lawyer, The Lincoln Law, which is great. I remember when I first saw that movie, and he popped up. I was like, "This is brilliant! Whoever did yeah, this, yeah, it is brilliant so, casting. So yeah. smart, so good." And he, and then he, and then, and then once again, lest we forget, he's in the show the, the firm, firm yeah a couple of years later playing that. mitch mcdeer so he was just lawyering for like a minute and he was just popping around yeah. and he oh this is interesting recurring role as young kevin costner in yellowstone oh you know it's funny i've never watched a minute of yellowstone but maybe i gotta Ooh. now that you say that though i mean he kind of does he does have a costner he thing. does sort of look like the wispy does. hair. Yeah, yeah. The shape of his face and his nose. Sure. Very American. Yeah. Um, so let's bring it back to Mystery of the Wax <laughs> Museum as we get going here. So I'll kind of let you go on this one because this was your suggestion. Yeah, yeah. I, I had not seen it. This, I mean, just this is, this becomes the, um, along with the story, it's based on the Waxworks by Charles S. Belden. This becomes... The inspiration for the House of Wax movies. Yes. Which is interesting. Um yeah. dare I say this one's better though. Yeah. Right? I think than I those think so. ones, I yeah. would say. I know uh-huh. people like people like both. People like the Wami Colesara remake and the uh the Vincent Price film, but I like this one more, I think. Um, tell us about this, Mr. Connor. Yeah, so it, it, as you mentioned, it came out in 1933, directed by Michael Curtiz. It basically starts uh, I wasn't actually entirely. I was trying to track the overall timeline of the movie. I believe it's just like two days. I believe it takes place over no New Year's no, Eve. No, no, and the then, opening, the opening scene is oh, like well, right, 12, right, right, twelve sorry. years yes. earlier. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, sorry. sorry. Okay, there is a there is a pretty dope prologue actually. Great, yeah, great, really amazing. Yeah. Um, it is. I think to me the most interesting thing about the movie is like. That it's directed by Michael Curtiz. And like, so just to see all the the like little ways that he rings like a good, entertaining little movie out of it. But uh, I think the opening prologue is one of them. It basically starts with a wax museum artist, like a wax sculptor who uh, who runs this wax museum in London, I believe. Mm -hmm. London, yep. So Lionel Atwill plays the proprietor and main artist at this wax museum in London. And his business partner is basically looking to to sell the place because all the other all the other wax works nearby and things like that are macabre. Yeah, it's it's you know, whatever. If you've ever been to a touristy whatever wax museum, you know, or an old school one, they're they're like that. It's all, you know, Jack the Ripper and stuff like that. And his is very much just like famous figures from history, yada, yada, yada. And he regards it very much as an art form. His business partner feels otherwise. Joe Worth, a great name. Yeah. And he basically, uh, at will, what's the, sorry, what's the character's name? Ivan Igor. Yeah, Ivan Igor. Thank you. How could I fucking forget that? So Ivan (laughs) Igor basically winds up kind of, sabotaging this deal a little bit because he reveals how sort of tender he is about his creations and the guy walks out and his business partner is furious with him he's like do you realize like we're you know we're in the red we need the money and he has this sort of moment where he's like 
Well, we do have yeah. insurance. I think it's it's correct me if I'm wrong. It's it's positioned differently. The guy this 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 money guy comes in and is like, "This is great work. I want to submit this to the Royal Academy." I'm gonna. I'm leaving to go to Egypt for a month, but when I come back, let's talk about it. And it seems like Joe Worth has already made up his mind. Oh, and not even, right. not even, not even understanding like that. There's a potential Sorry, deal yeah. in the future. Yeah, yeah. And Sorry, so then Joe Worth comes in and he's like, "Hey, like, do you realize we make no money? But there's a ten thousand pound insurance policy on this." place so if we burn it down now we'll make ten thousand. we'll split it and we'll and you know we can and igor like you're saying is like what are you talking about i love these are my children like i love these things and and what ensues is uh worth tries to not tries he succeeds in burning the place down but uh he basically you know what ensues is this whole struggle as the place burns pretty great little opening because it's just you know again the way Curtiz pulls it off and obviously if you've seen robin hood or any of his other spots just like it that it's immediately you're like oh yeah like this dude knows how to like make movies right like um another interesting thing i thought was kind of uh so this is one of the last uh two-tone technicolor movies that was made at the time yeah um, it was this and then the movie Dr. X, which ultimately got a sequel starring uh, Humphrey Bogart. Um, yeah. And but the original Dr. X and this movie were two of the last movies to be made with two tone Technicolor, which basically is, uh, you know, it's a combination of all of the prominent colors you would need to represent something, but just mixed into a red orange and a blue green together and those are the most if you watch things. if you watch uh certain Powell pressburger movies you'll see sure. versions of this technique tales of hoffman primarily being the one and if you watch the aviator Mar- yeah, mark scorsese the aviator he say, yeah. pays direct homage to it literally and it's like i mean it's you know that's one of my favorite movies ever made but but that, specifically because it's a reference to like kind of what Hughes, I think I'm right about this, ended up doing with Hell's Angels. Yeah, where I mean, he through, colored in, it after the facts. In The Aviator, specifically, uh, the color palette changes to what would have been available at the time over the time span. Well, the, it goes on. So, yeah. so as the movie, you know, goes on, it gets into full color. But yeah, there is that huge chunk of the movie that is basically like. Like I mentioned, a, a red, orange, and blue, green, and stuff like that. Um, but you see it on display here. Uh, it I don't know. It just adds a cool little sheen to the movie. Um, totally. I think you know. Obviously, I think if it was full Technicolor, it would have been lush and great and fine. But um, it's definitely I don't know. It's like a little kind of curious thing to sort of feast your eyes upon uh, while you're watching the movie. Anyway, after this wax museum burns down. We flash forward, uh, what'd you say, 12 years? It's like something yeah, like that. It's yeah, it's the year of the movie. It's, like, I think, 33. 33. Yeah. And um, we're in New York, and it's New Year's Eve, and it's insane, right? There's, like, ticker tape and all sorts of stuff. Um, and there is a suicide of a local... Do they ever specify, is she an actress, or is she just, like... Someone who's kind of no, like she's some sort. She must be some kind of performer, I would imagine, right? Yeah, I think, um, I think, 
I'm trying to. I'm just looking. It's a, she's a model, is what oh, I'm okay. reading. She's a model, okay, which makes okay. sense. Yeah, Joan yeah, Gale yes. is her name. There's Joan this Gale. woman, Joan Gale, who commits suicide and is, you know, taken out of this building uh, amidst the craziness of New Year's Eve. And in the morgue, they realize that Joan did not uh, potentially kill herself, but was in fact, I think it's laudanum that she uh, mm -hmm. she drinks. And they realize that it, it was given to her. She didn't, you know, she didn't give it, she didn't take it herself. Um, and so then it becomes this whole thing of, did she kill herself? Did she not kill herself? So meanwhile, we have Glenda Farrell, who's Florence, who's basically our lead. And she is this sort of fast talking, smart mouth reporter. And her editor is basically, he, he's like, I'm going to fire you if you don't give me a story. Just give me a story on literally anything. Right. And her roommate, who is Faye Ray, is dating a gentleman who works at this newly opening uh, wax museum that's come from London. And it's it's Lionel Atwill has moved his wax museum finally to London. He has survived the fire, but his hands are very burned. So everybody make he has people make the statues uh, or the sculptures rather for him. But um through her roommate, she starts to get a closer peek at this thing, and she winds up going to a an opening of the wax museum, and she looks at the wax display of Joan of Arc, and who does it look like? Joan Hale. Looks a lot like Joan. And so she starts to get curious. Meanwhile, this, and I mentioned this to you off mic, like the movie kind of presents a lot of this to you. Cause one thing I'm skipping over to kind of get through the plot chronologically is there is also this third figure who is this like disfigured, mysterious person who yeah. is kind of skulking around and winds up going into the morgue to take Jones the body. body. Yeah. So it's very direct that it's Joan. It's not like, is that Joan? Is it not like, you're you're very almost immediately like oh okay so they're taking people and they're he's using them uh somehow in his wax museum and so it's a little bit i like the movie and i like the way it plays out and i almost frankly prefer it this way to like some kind of a whodunit or actual mystery um but it is just funny that it's called the mystery of the wax museum, and there is. I just think it's the title references the the mystery for the characters, for the, sure, right? Sure. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know for Florence and yeah. you know for. Um, I imagine if know, I was for, a viewer in 1933, I would have been like, "Ah, oh, what's this? They said it was a mystery, but they're telling me everything, Mah, or whatever, you know." <laughs> yeah, Great Depression. <laughs> um, that Hitler's a bad egg. Uh, so. <laughs> So as it plays out, um, ultimately, Igor sets his eyes on uh, Faye Ray and realizes that she very closely resembles his, his now destroyed but previously favorite wax sculpture of Marie Antoinette. And so you immediately are like, oh, no. Right. Hmm. And uh, and I won't necessarily I don't think I want to spoil the ending because there yeah. is there is a bit of a reveal at the end that is kind of a bit of fun. Um, and it's it's a we we didn't mention, but it is a just perfectly short movie. It's an hour and 18 minutes. God. Bless. Oh, yeah. It flies right. by. Amazing. 
Um, and yeah, it's a nice little thing. I mean, I think I kind of glazed over her, but Glenda Farrell, like that's the other half of the movie that like, it's kind of funny. You like, you watch certain parts of it and you're like, oh yeah, this is definitely directed by the dude who directed Robin Hood. And then there are other parts where you're like, oh, it's directed by the dude who directed Casablanca. Like there are these wonderful bantery moments, uh, particularly with Glenda during the course of the movie that, um, that really make it kind of nice. She gets like, cause she gets like, you know, chummy with like the officers and, you know, she has a nice little repartee with, um, this gentleman who actually winds up getting accused of the murder, the initial murder. Yeah. Gavin Gordon yeah. plays George, George Winton. And, um, and yes, and so then it, Frank, you said Frank McHugh plays the editor, her editor, whose name is Jim. Yes, yeah, they yeah. have a, they have a good chemistry. Yeah, they have a great chemistry. So it's it's a lot of that. Like it's kind of funny. I feel like the other reason I might be disappointed as a as an initial viewer is that you it, it feels like it's almost being sold to you as some kind of a horror movie, and there are certainly those elements, and it definitely is sort of a mystery slash or suspense slash horror. But like it's very funny. It's really snappy. Like. All of those newsroomy moments are really nice. So just a lot to kind of snack on over an hour and 18. Well, minutes, yeah, you know? and I think it speaks, you know, when I watch these types of movies, it speaks to just there's a, you know, this is 80, you know, as we record, this is 88 years ago, this movie was released and just the tonal shifts uh, within and the speed at which things are revealed. Um it could be jarring for for viewers used to perhaps longer form narratives sure. that are a bit more kind of ah, comprehensive or like married to their own tone if that makes sense and it's kind of one of those things it's really not a criticism of either thing more is just kind of it's you know to watch mystery of the wax museum now it's refreshing because one remembers like oh wow like there was an ability that I suppose still exists, but just doesn't feel overly available these days to just construct these, you know, you know, complicated, somewhat complicated macabre plots. But like you're saying, have there be romance, have there be jokes, have there be, you know, sidekicks and like, yeah, and, and you know, and, stuff like that, and, which feels for all of it to work pretty well. Again, I think obviously you got to you got to shift your brain into a different gear when you're watching it, because these things aren't meant to be like deeply resonant, you know, particularly with some of the romance and stuff like that. It's more of a jokey button on things. Right. And like, yeah, it's just sort of a, a delivery system for Michael Curtiz, who is a master at this, by the way to just mm. like deliver you a few different forms of entertainment over the course of an hour and change. Right. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of, yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh no, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, another Curtis movie, which I know we've brought up before angels with dirty faces is yeah. similar, not totally different movie, but socially minded drama, but the dead end kids are in it. Right. There's like jokes, there's, asides right you got pat o'brien kind of serving as the moral center which he was wont to do throughout his career here and there right like um that's another example of not a long movie you get a lot done mm. and you know like i said if you sh perhaps 
I mean, look, we, we were talking about it before. You know, I have not yet seen the Nightmare Alley remake, which is currently in theaters as we record. But that remake is 40 minutes or so longer than yeah. the original, mm-hmm. which came out in the late 40s. And I think that is literally it's the... about a, It's about a half. Yeah, it's like a half hour longer, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, because I'm just looking it up. The original, yeah, is literally 110, right? About, yeah, one, yeah. So it's almost exactly uh, 30 minutes longer. And it's that thing of just like, I think you run into stuff in this day and age where, the, you know, context has become even more key, if that makes sense. Sure, and just yeah. like elaboration and what have you. And um, it doesn't necessarily, it's not always a bad thing. It just can be more laborious. And I think, you know, Mystery of the Wax Museum is a good example of like, wow, these things could really move back then. Um, sure, sure. I mean, it, to just to jump back to, you know, I, I mean, all the we I don't even know if we really talked about this when we recorded our episode, but all those Joan Harrison movies we covered, right? Like they're they're like I think a handful of them are closer to two hours, but like most of them are basically 90 minutes or a little bit less. And like it's. Yeah, I don't know. It's just an econ- to your point, it all leads to an economy and storytelling that I think, you know, we just maybe it's it, we have a, har- a harder time with generally uh, in terms of the movies we digest both good and bad. Like, I, you know, there are plenty of movies I've seen this year that are over two hours that are very good. And, you know, but um, but it is one of those things where you can't help but think like almost, you know, every movie could probably be 15 minutes shorter. Um that said, I do want to talk really quick before we move on to the next one about like the New Year's Eve of it all of this movie, because mm. um, I did really appreciate there's some photography in the beginning of the movie just to kind of get basically Kurt- for Curtis just to very quickly kind of tell you, like, it's the New Year and like it does a really interesting thing. I think another version of this movie would have some sort of relation specifically to the new year as it pertains to the murders and probably figure out a way to like make it, you put a clock on it kind of, or something which could be compelling in its own way. Uh, What I kind of liked is that this movie takes place during like the witching hour of new year's day, which I kind of liked like the start of the movie. People are going nuts. Like it is 1933 at least when the when we jump to present day, it's like we jump to the ball drop like and people are going nuts or whatever. And the mysterious disfigured character in question who is stealing these bodies and seemingly committing these murders is kind of like plowing through like not snow, but like ticker tape and like the aftermath of of, of people just having these like raucous New Year's uh, parties And I thought that was kind of interesting because it does set an interesting stage for like when when Joan dies. Right. And and is presumed a suicide like they do just write it off like they're just kind of like, yeah, oh, somebody died on somebody committed suicide on New Year's Eve. Like, okay, Yeah. Yeah. And um, and I thought that was kind of interesting just in terms of using it as a way this weird I don't know, this weird, like nebulous blank spot in time between New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, like when people are just kind of 
I don't know, in this kind of delirious state before like a, a hard come down the next day or something like yeah, that. Yeah, before life gets back to normal. Yeah, I thought it was kind of a fascinating place to like set a uh, a mystery or a thriller. But um but yeah, I don't know. That's the mystery of the wax museum. It's a nice little movie. It is currently, as of this recording, on HBO Max. So you mm. can check that out. It's uh it's a fun little one. Yeah, definitely recommend it. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a good short time at the movies, as they say. Um the next movie is 200 Cigarettes, as I mentioned. And yeah, I mean, this is, I think by now you would call it a cult, you know, a, a semi-cult classic, sure, I think. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, now, this is funny. I, I should have done more research. I always equated 200 Cigarettes mm. with another movie that came out around the same time that was similar. The Truth About Cats and Dogs? I don't know. Well, that's Janine Garofalo as well. But yeah, I, I I was thinking it must be New Year's related, but I don't. But I'd have to maybe maybe while you're talking, I'll try to look in sure, the box sure. office and see. But anyway, the basic premise of Two Hundred Cigarettes is you know it's like it's an ensemble comedy. Um, it's set in 1981 on New Year's Eve in New York City, and it's literally a slew of different characters are all bouncing around New York City. And most of them end up planning to attend a party thrown by the one and only Martha Plimpton, whose name is Monica in the movie. She lives in Alphabet City and is very stressed, which I, I did love. This is I forgot about this in the rewatch, which I was probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. She's just waiting for people to show up. Yeah. And it's the whole thing, which I think anybody who's thrown a party, it's yeah. a real thing. Like, yeah. you don't want people to be on time necessarily, but you don't want people to be like hours late either. And that right. thing like, of like for a couple who, hours. Anybody who's yeah. on time for a New Year's party is leaving before midnight. Right. Like that's I, I right. feel like would be the thing. But yeah, it is it, it is a wonderful, special kind of stress. I do. I think Martha Plimpton's like maybe my favorite part of this movie um, or one of Um I think she's great. And like, yes, yeah, so totally she, agree. Yeah. She's basically the center of this ensemble movie in so far as all of the other pieces of it keep talking about, oh, I heard about this party or I am directly going to this party or whatever. Uh, and, and this is the party in question that they're all kind of headed to. or whatever. Yeah, I mean, and just to set it up, it's basically like. You got Christina Ricci, who's Monica's cousin, and her friend Steffi, who's Gabby Hoffman. Both great. They're they're coming in from Long Island, right? Long Island, Ronkonkoma, or no, Ronkonkoma? That's yeah. Long Island, right? Yeah, yeah it is Long Island. Long Island. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, all so those they're coming in got from a big laugh out of my way. Yeah, hey, I mean, hey, I, yeah. as they as they should, and they're they're like they're younger, they're like teenagers, and they're yeah, they're coming in from Long Island. And probably one of the most, I mean, the, the scene I always remember from this movie is, and I guess maybe because I lived in New York is, um, and I lived right next to Alphabet City for a decent time, was um, the whole part where they're trying to find the apartment and Gabby Hoffman keeps being like, Val, Val, like you, whatever you do, you can't cross yeah, Avenue don't, B. Don't cross, don't cross don't, B. Don't cross B, which is a thing that, that like... Maybe more veteran New Yorkers would let. I feel like I would hear that from people. They'd be like, "Oh, alphabets," and you're like, "Okay, well, it's not like that anymore." So, like, but even like to yeah. the point where, like, when yeah. we, because we would go out in Alphabet City a lot when we were young and impressionable, <laughs> and we lived near there. And there were like back. I mean, and now even as we talk about it, this is ten years ago, so I don't even know what's changed since. But yeah, like, sure. when we lived there, 
there were cheaper bars in Alphabet City. Sure. And like you yeah, said, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't really like the only I remember I worked with an actor who lived like on or like past D, which is like you're sure. running into the water at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I will say I went to his apartment to rehearse. And that was that was my only time. I, I you I got far enough out there at a certain yeah. point. I was like, oh yeah, this is maybe okay. I mean, and this is this would have been, you know, I don't know, twenty eleven or something, twenty twelve. Uh-huh. But um, but every time we'd go to you know, you know, a bar in Alphabet City, if we crossed B, I would always make the joke. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I always thought of two hundred cigarettes. So that's like one group, and then you have, um. You have Kate Kate Hudson, who's going on a date with Jay Moore. Which wow, <laughs> well, there I mean, there's a, there is a lot of this like, was the time of Jay. This was the time and, of Jay yeah, Moore. It's, it's a very. I mean, we were joking about Josh Lucas before, but like about him just being very much like the dude who would lead Poseidon in 2006 or whatever. But like, right. but but yeah, this movie is like everyone who's in this movie full of stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. You're, it's Garofalo and Rudd and Courtney Love for like the minute that she was because when was Man on the Moon? Right. It was like the year before. The year bef- yeah. Yeah. So, you know, she was like, well, and also she's in Larry Flint. Which right, is like 96. Right. Right. So and she's she gets like, nominated yeah. for that. I mean, look, Courtney Love. A good, a good when when she acts, a good actress. Yeah, agreed, like agreed. Good yeah. in this movie. I mean, her yeah. her and Paul Rudd's whole thing. I mean, Paul Rudd weird. I mean, like obviously in, intentionally unlikable, but mm. like, but it weirdly yeah. unlikable because it's Paul Rudd. Like he is. Yeah. Hard I, to even I will listen say that to the in this stuff movie. that helps him because he's also very good at it. Is like because he's a, the physical. He, yeah, stuff. the physical comedy is great is very is very good i think like the yeah, and his whole and his and his whole thing is he's been dumped by this like proto-feminist musician who's janine garofalo right um and his best friends courtney love and they courtney love and paul rudd obviously have a sexual chemistry that sure. they will hopefully uh consummate or what have you so that so they invite a a bartender who has got a sick uh, earring, and it's Ben Affleck. <laughs> they invite she Courtney Love invites Ben Affleck, and this is like it's like Shakespeare in Love. It's like proto tender bar uh, Ben Affleck. It's like, oh my god! It's, but he's, yeah, it's freaking forces joke. of nature Ben yeah, Affleck. There is a running joke in the movie that I forgot about, which I think is great, which is that like Ben Affleck's a shitty bartender. Like, he's really bad he keeps yeah. trying to do like the slick things like like pre- <laughs> the cocktail like, yeah like, the he cocktail. Keeps trying. now i i wanted it to be a direct cocktail reference but obviously it's not because it's 81 so it would have been it was seven years pre before, yeah, yeah seven years before but i do kind of love that he's like trying to be what clearly gets depicted brian flanagan and, yeah, yeah. yeah and and he just like keeps dropping glasses and stuff it's like a yeah. great, it's like a great little but it never it only once ever happens like on camera it happens like two more times when two <laughs> other characters camera. are like talking in the foreground and Affleck you're just kind of eyeing Affleck in the background like dr- breaking glasses so. and shit it's very good and then you got you got like Dave Chappelle is the kind of you know cab driver Magical who plays disco music driver. yeah a little bit yeah I mean there's an awareness to it I think but yeah. it's yeah and then um and then it's like Elvis Costello pops in and out as kind of I think like an eighty one joke type of you know which yep. is fun and and he and then, I was reading Costello there obviously it, because it's a movie set in the eighties it's also an MTV production we didn't say we didn't say that but 
Um, an early, an early one. This yeah. is, yeah, they had yeah. made a few before this, but this is an early MTV and, movie. And yeah. and so the, obviously there are a lot of like music's a very big part. There are a lot of needle drops. And I was reading that Elvis Costello was very instrumental in getting the rights to those needle drops for them. Oh, interesting. Like using his connections to like get them the rights for all. Can the you? Drops. Here's the thing. Can you name using Wikipedia as reference the four? Theatrically released MTV Productions movies that came out before okay. Cigarettes. Okay. Oh, before? Before. So Election is after. Oh, South, okay. South Park is after. The Wood is after. Save the Last Dance is after. What's before? So we're talking like 99, 98 96 is the first one, a oh. movie I'll always remember, oh, is it, which is- Is it Beavis and Butthead Do America? That's the second one, but that okay. is one of them, yes. Yeah, okay. The third one is stars Tom Everett Scott. And Mark Paul Gossler. Oh. It's a college movie. Yeah, of course it is. Um, I think it was a very hot uh, script, if I recall. Very hot script. Didn't didn't do didn't do much business when not, it came out. Um no, because this was way later. I was gonna say it's not stealing Harvard. No. Right? Because that's like But I believe that was also a an MTV. I'm looking it, it up. Feels oh like no, not weirdly, not an MTV. Oh, it really. feels like it feels like it should have been. Um, the fourth one is an absolute classic high school football epic. Oh, Varsity Come Blues. On. No, I mean, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. So you're missing the, was first the first and one? the third. Okay, the first one, and then I, I will, on my deathbed, I will know this, I will know the stat. It is the Jerry O'Connell-led Joe's oh, apartment. Oh, Joe's apartment. Oh. When the co- he starts talking to the cockroaches. To the cockroaches, yeah. yeah. Wow. Iconic, iconic film. Wow, that's a certain... Cost $13 million to make, which... <laughs> wow. So and what made, is that in And made less than... Like, damn, made less like, than five. Oof. Yeah. Yikes, buddy. Um, yeah, because I was going to... I remember a few... Didn't... Isn't... Um, All right, I'm going to tell you... I'm going to tell you the, M- the MPG... Yeah, yeah, do it, do it. Uh, T-E-S <laughs> movie. <laughs> it is... I can't believe you didn't get this. I'm actually kind of not kidding. Dead Man on Canvas, dude. Oh, right. Come on. I forgot that was Mark Paul Gosselier. Oh. Yeah. And it it perpetuates that urban legend of the, like, if your roommate commits suicide, you get yeah you get which you i don't get, like, think free, is that real ride or whatever yeah it's not a it's not a real thing yeah i'm I, looking at it right i now. can't yeah, imagine it's, it's, a, it's I an can't urban imagine legend it is oh wow yeah wow that if that is i will say if that has any nugget of truth to it it sounds like something that happened to one kid at like a small college or something right, like exactly. you know, where it was like look his roommate died so they just they're not you know anyway um Wow. Yeah, it's got a very, it's got a very um, barred feel to it. Very, yeah. very, uh, <laughs> very like uh, what, what am I looking for? The uh, like, it's not just liberal, but like there's a there's a phrase for those colleges. But yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Like, like very like, much like like waspy liberal. Like, uh, like no, no, not even like that. But just like, just you know. Um, where did Brett Easton Ellis go to college? It's like oh, that sure. that school where it's yeah. like it's like oh we make our own grades like yeah, you know yeah, 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 type yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's the that's the school of hard knocks, right? That's the yeah. nah, fuck yeah, dude. Um, fucking, that's the school we went to, dude. <laughs> school of hard knocks. Um, 
But no, I mean, this movie, I, I found it, I found it still charming. You know, yeah. I, I kind of went into it thinking it was a movie that was, you know, didn't cost a lot, didn't make a lot. Um, I realized I'd never seen it like uh, front. Oh, interesting. Like I, interesting. I remember because it. Oh, this was another one of those ones that I feel like would like pop on Comedy Central every once in a while. Right. And I definitely have seen parts of it, uh, but I don't think I had ever seen it kind of in in you know chronological order as they say but um but yeah i mean i you know there's some stuff that doesn't work but i think largely like it's funny like everyone's doing the thing that they do well in terms of like what you know in terms of like who their characters are or whatever i have to wonder if like it it's a little weird because i feel like the ending of the movie almost posits Casey Affleck's whole thing as if he was like the second lead to Paul Rudd the whole time, you know, cause it's, yeah. cause it is resolved in this very like whatever romantic thing, you know, whatever. And it, it's just a little, we didn't weird. mention he's, 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 he's one half of a duo. That's like, they're like, they're like, they're like they're unintentionally like, scaring Christina Ricci and Gabby Hoffman. And then they're and then they become a like a, a like a quartet essentially. Yeah, like, that, that makes um, their way, and they're yeah they're like they're like, the they're like punks. They're like Sex Pistol-y, you know. Yeah, people. and yeah, and yeah. I mean, it, it's just yeah. I don't know. I think that it felt weird because it felt like that was the only segment, or he was kind of the only character that was. It, he just felt like underwritten, like, and it, it feels weird to say in an ensemble movie where everyone kind of only needs to serve like a specific purpose or whatever, but everybody else, I kind of like, I got the thing, right? Like I got like what it, what their whole deal was, how they were connected to either one of the other characters or whatever. I mean, even Ben Affleck, who's like less of a character in this than Casey Affleck is. I still, I got like more of his deal than I did Casey's because Casey has this moment with Gabby Hoffman where he like kind of you realize he's just like trying to find love. But it's like and it's in obviously like a young, naive way or whatever, but it feels like it comes out of left field. Like there's nothing to suggest. Like, I don't know. It's a very weird. It's a very weird thing in the way the movie. there's a scene later in the movie when he kind of pairs up with somebody that like you think he's finally got what he's looking for. And I'm like, Oh, is that a thing we were like focusing on? Cause I the rooting, uh, rooting, rooting for it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like it's, so that felt a little weird. I, I, cause I do think it mostly, if you had to pick it's, it's Paul Rudd and Courtney loves movie, right? Like they're the, I guess. Yeah. I guess they're the ostensible leads. Cause you know, they're the first I mean, ones we see and the movie ends on them too. That's also, it's also where the movie gets its title because it is also Paul Rudd's birthday. So he's sort of, kind of extra hates New Year's Eve because it's, you know, whatever his birthday coincides with New Year's Eve or whatever. And yeah. she buys him a carton of cigarettes. So 200 cigarettes. And yeah. OK, so and that's interesting. It, a carton is 200 cigarettes. Yes, correct. Uh, interesting. I always thought and maybe I read this at the time. It's a great it's a good title for a movie, but a bad title for marketers. Sure. Like calling a movie 200 cigarettes in 1999. So when, when like Wygand was popping yeah, off and stuff, yeah, I just so, felt like so that there, was a mistake. Fun fact, there was a 
the, and I, I say, I mean, this, I just got this from the IMDb trivia page or whatever, but they, when they were shooting, there was a woman who was unaware that her building was being featured in the movie. And so she, I guess had like, she had lost her, either her grandfather to lung cancer or her father or something like mm. that. So she was like going her out of her way to like disrupt the production. Oh my God. So like she would like put, very like blatant giant no smoking signs on the outside of the building and then like she almost again i'm getting this all from imdb trivia so who knows exactly how true it is or whatever but apparently like almost got into like a physical fight with with one of the actors who like accidentally went on her stoop and like oh, no. yeah it was like a whole thing so but yeah to your point i mean you're making the movie in like 98 99 you know, and calling it 200 cigarettes, you're like, oh, well, <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things like I, I don't think it's actually a bad title, you know, but if I were if I was working for whatever the publicity company, you know, the MTV's yeah, if you're working for Viacom PR or whatever, firm or what yeah. you're just like, you know what, man, how do we even market this? Um, but you mentioned earlier, it does, I think, in its essence, capture the ostensible stress of the obligation of New Year's Eve in terms sure. of like, oh, we got to get to a party. We got to get somewhere. You have this old Nicole Ari Parker. And um, is it Angela Featherstone? Is yes. that her name? Yeah. yeah. They're, um, they're basically Nicole Ari Parker breaks up with um, uh, uh, what is the British gentleman's name? Let me look it up. Oh, his quick. name. It's Brian McCarty. Yeah, so she breaks yeah. up with Brian, yeah, Brian McCarty, um, and yeah, her and Angela Featherstone, after that, realize like, oh, they get invited to the party by Ben Affleck at that bar, but they, to go to the party, they feel like they need dates, and it's like, that energy is through the whole movie, right, where it's like, Paul Rudd just got dumped, he's trying to get over it, right, you know, the, um, the young teenagers are in a city that's too big for them, right? Like, you know, Casey Affleck's looking for love. Like you said, like all of these kind of things. Um, yeah, they do a good job of kind of capturing a feeling. You know, it's not the greatest movie ever made, but no. I think it is a nice, I think it's a nice timepiece. And also, you know, one of those things, I, I do like movies like this, not unlike an American Graffiti or a Dazed and Confused, right? It's that thing of like, when you make those ensemble movies, you know, or like I Want to Hold Your Hand is another one. Like, sure. So often you go two decades back because the people right. making them are looking back to, you know, they're, they're, they're 30 or, going yeah. into 40 a lot of times. So it's like yeah. they're looking back at that time in their life. So it's like I like that. That's always nice. Like American Graffiti made in the 70s, set in the 50s, Days and Confused made in the 90s, set in the – uh, 70s 200 cigarettes right at the end of millennium set at the very beginning of the 80s right so these that two decade swing i always think is a nice touch and kind of you know the right way to attack nostalgia i think to some degree sure. and um that would be a nice that would be a nice thing to program like just all of um, those types like, of movies yeah at a, like, at a at a theater you know yeah like diner uh diner's another one yeah. like diner 
Diner, Diner's even a little bit because Barry Levinson. I don't want to say he was older, but Diner is eighty-two, and it's definitely takes place in the mid, late, the late fifties. Am I right? Maybe it might be early sixties. Actually, let me make sure. But anyway, I always yeah, Diner, Diner, one of my Diner, one of my favorite movies. Which Um, is Diner? Um, I and I it came up because I you know nineteen fifty, but nineteen fifty-nine. Okay, sure. So So, I mean, you know, twenty-three years. yeah. Yeah, and is Diner the um. Is that a Christmas movie or is that a New Year's movie? Because I I was like I kind of was just doing like a quick. It's more thing Christmas, like, right? Because because it's a Christmas movie. Because right. Tim Daly comes home for the holiday from right. college, right, 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 and it's like Christmas is happening right around the corner. Um, that movie's the best. I That's love great. Diner. Is truly one of my top five movies for me. I love Diner. Um. But so that's 200 cigarettes, you know, so a softer recommendation, I suppose, but still a recommendation. MTV productions popping off. Um, I suppose some other some other MTV production highlights. We have to just let's just say it while we have it. I mean, Orange County, which I'll always, obviously which I'll movie. always go to bat for. I love Orange County. Um, they're they're part of Zoolander, though. I think that's smaller. Um, Save the Last Dance, obviously. What was the, the wood what was is the last movie they made? Well, hang on, bro. Wait. So, so Crossroads can't forget. Right, they had a running. So they had a running distribution deal with Paramount because all these movies basically are Paramount movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is interesting. Obviously, Jackass the movie, Better Luck Tomorrow, the first the original Justin Uh, Lin movie. Yeah, good movie. I like that movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, Coach Carter. Right, remember that one? Um, Murder Ball, the think film movie. Get Rich or Die Trying is in there. Let's see. What's their last movie? Well, they, st- they still have things. Do still they still kind of have things. movies? I mean, like Jackass Forever. You know, that oh. counts. Oh, okay. I like, didn't um, even really know they were like still a thing. Yeah. I mean, I think, I guess they still have their, or technically, you know, like, apparently they were part of Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. That <laughs> absolute, absolute banger. Remember that one? <laughs> Man. That movie, crazy though. Cost fifty million worldwide, made two hundred and twenty-six. Did it really? So, I mean, like, I don't know that it was some huge hit because I know they marketed the hell out of it, but like, it wasn't a bomb. I mean, right? Like, at the very least, you know, no one's like losing a ton of money on it or whatever. I'm just looking it up. Yeah, it made. Yeah, it made fifty-five domestic, one seventy international. So it made its budget back domestic. That's I mean production yeah, technically. Yeah, yeah, technically, that's yeah. crazy. Isn't that crazy? Uh, but so, yeah, I mean, that's 99. And then seven years later, it's Josh Lucas time. Poseidon, and, baby. And here we are. Now, Wolfgang Peterson. So this is yeah, the last let, movie he directs. Yeah. Now, we were, I think we can safely say we're big fans of Wolfgang here yeah, on the yeah, B side. Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously, Das Boot, which is a very provocative piece of work. Got to be still his best movie, I'd admit, right? I mean, he, yeah, he, I'm gonna hang on. I'm gonna look at the filmography real. So quick, am I. I mean, go through. He makes a few stuff. shorts, right? He makes um, a couple of features in. It is Germany, right? Yeah, Germany, mm-hmm. and then Das Boot, obviously, which literally translates to the boat, right? He makes. Yeah, I mean that's 81... definitely the best. Yeah, the best one. Right. Yeah. There's. No yeah, Jurgen Prochnow is the lead in that. If you don't know Das Boot. It's basically it follows the um, the life in war times of a German uh, sub in 
1941. So like earlier on in World War II. And you begin, I mean, here's the whole thing with the movie. You root for the men in the ship, right? Like, right, yeah, yeah. Which is such, you know, as an American, obviously, that's the whole... I mean, look, that's the beauty of cinema, right? I mean, it's like sure. it's like what Roger Ebert said, you know, film is an empathy machine. And I think that is, a, as much as any movie, Das Boot is a great example of that because you, as an American, you're kind of instinctively like, what am I watching? <laughs> yeah, Why am I sure. watching this? Like, And sure. then when the ending happens, you're really shook. Like, I, I just still think about the ending of that movie because, you know, there's a, it's complicated. The, the feelings that you have, I'm, at least the feelings I had for it is complicated. And I think, um, yeah, definitely a movie worth seeking out. And then obviously he does the never ending story, which is that, that itself is kind of a cult classic because sure. it didn't do amazingly well when it came out. Actually, no, I guess it did. I'm looking at it. It was a hit, huh? Is that right? And then he I always did. thought it wasn't a hit, but I guess it was. And then, and then he did what I like to call the, the precursor to, uh, right. To- to oh to bright okay i was gonna say to uh district nine uh oh i guess it is, is more is, which is district en- nine enemy enemy mine. i just it was one of those things i remember i remember watching enemy mine as a kid and like when i ultimately saw district nine whenever it came out i remember thinking like there's no way neil blomkamp hasn't fucking watched and enjoyed enemy mine anyway go on then he makes Shattered, which is like a psychological thriller. With well, that was that was back when Behringer was getting his yeah. Josh Lucas moments. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. Which is probably mean to Behringer because I mean, you know, Platoon alone, my God. Yeah, he has. It, a, I feel like a little bit more of a slightly lasting impression. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. In the Line of Fire, great movie. Outbreak, which I watched at the beginning of the pandemic, great decision by me. <laughs> um, Air Force One, arg- arguably. I know I said Das Boot. But actually, Air Force One's probably the best film ever made. So, <laughs> I would say Das Boot. And isn't is it Jürgen, Casablanca? Isn't now in... Citizen Kane, Air Force One. <laughs> isn't uh, isn't your Prock now game. in Air Force One? Yes, too? he oh. is the T is the the, like, the, the rebel dictator, leader. Right? They yeah. the rebel leader they kidnap. Right or, or rebel lead or he's like a dictator, isn't he? Isn't he like a dict a military dictator that like. That I don't know if he, I can't Gary remember. Oldman, he's like in prison and the whole thing is they, they want, break him out. Yeah, they right. want him released from prison. You want to lecture me about the rules of war? Anyway, um, yeah. I don't Call know. off Raddick. Yeah. Call off Raddick. <laughs> Wendy Crewson. Yeah. Great Wendy Crewson performance. Love yeah. Crewson. Glenn Close. The Perfect Storm. Great in that movie. Uh, if you give him a, Catherine, Catherine, if you <laughs> give him house a cookie, he's going to want a glass of milk. Catherine, uh, Catherine. <laughs> Great, uh, Glenn Close, so good. You know who's great in that movie? Dean Stockwell, R.I.P. Sure, yeah. Secretary of State, yeah. I believe, in that film. Very, he's like a piece of shit. Great job. <laughs> he's it's a great job. Um, Perfect Storm, um, f- good, sad, big movie. Um, Wolfgang just loves his waves, huh? He just loves like, what if there was a boat and a big wave? What I do happen? love the <laughs> thought of like Hollywood being like, we got this, we got this. Uh, this banger of a non we got this non-fiction blockbuster novel by sebastian younger who do we get to direct it and they're like well what was that movie that complicated movie about the german u-boat be like oh yeah call that guy you know and then, I, and then, I never and then six years later they were like <laughs> run it back i always you know it's funny i 
I never thought about that. And I, so Wolfgang, I always kind of assumed, and this is what happened with Poseidon, by the way, he was just always one of those dudes I assumed was like fifth on the list, you know, Mm. like, like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like they were going to Spielberg and they were going to who, you know, whatever. And then, and then it it would just ultimately, they get to Wolfgang. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, that is what happened with Poseidon actually. But but I always assume something like that happened with Perfect Storm, too, because it just feels like something that like there must have. I have I'm, again, I'm assuming I do. Like I do also think work. that list to your point that I don't think that list is ever very long. Obviously, now. Right, right, right. Yeah. Things are a little different now where like you have, you know, speaking of the Marvels, you have these infrastructures in place that sh- that are meant to shepherd these filmmakers to the point that in some cases they're less directors and more they're less film directors and more TV, TV directors. directors. Sure. Yeah. Cause they were being told what the vision is and to execute said vision, which is obviously not the way film has worked for, you know, more or less a the first hundred plus <laughs> years, but or any, that's a conversation for another day. Um, <laughs> but I think Wolfgang is one of those guys where he could handle the scope Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so not yeah. many could. So yeah. it's like when you make um you know, when you go from the never ending story to um in the line of fire to outbreak is a pretty big blockbuster to Air Force One with the, the biggest movie store in the world, which is a big hit, you know, all of a sudden you're on and like that complicated list. Like, special oh, effects and like, oh yeah, yeah. And it's like oh Wolfgang stuff, yeah. can do it, right? Like yeah. and then um and then Perfect Storm's a big hit, obviously. And then Probably his most underrated movie, Troy, I would agree. comes out yeah. in 04. Kind of a, a, a unfairly maligned film. Um, I don't know if we've said this before on this show, but I feel like Troy is to Sword and Sandal what Valkyrie is to like World War II movies, which is like right. they just feel like versions of those movies that it's like if you took the movie as is with the caliber of the perform, like don't change a thing about the performances, yada, yada, yada. And you and it came out in 1960, whatever it would be some kind of a fucking maybe not a masterpiece, but it would have just been like a. it would be it it would be an awards consideration. Exactly. Exactly. For sure. Exactly. You know, um, and also to your point, it's funny you say that because uh, they're similar also in the sense of they both kind of at least temporarily represent the end of things. Right. Because Troy, you know, Troy Alexander and Kingdom of Heaven all come out within, I don't know, 18, 24 months of each other. And it's like for a moment, gladiator re sparks the sword and sandal. Yeah. Right. In 2000. And then by Oh five, it's like, Oh, we're done. Yeah. Like ne- never mind, never mind. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's and like private Ryan with the, with the, with the war picture, right. Or the war epic, right. Similar. Like, right. Yeah. So the point is by yeah. Valkyrie, Valkyrie doesn't do badly, but it doesn't do well enough to like, sway any minds so by the time valkyrie comes out no wait people are like oh i guess we're just we're going to be done with like big world war ii movies for a while you know and i would have to look to see what's come out since obviously stuff like jojo rabbit and whatever like you know those obviously would those are different versions of different parts i'm trying to i don't think i've seen like a world war ii epic but like big spy slash war like you know that those used I mean, to be. I mean, you have nineteen seventeen, right? Like that. Sure. Well, that's World War One, right? Right, yeah, but yeah. and but even that, I feel like it is a war epic. So I'm not, and I'm not trying to discount it, but I do feel like half of the the success of that movie 
was the technical element, right? Like was the like, oh, it's a continuous take. You should go check this out, right? Like incredibly successful movie, that movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so crazy, 1917, like how good it did. It's like just wild. I mean, I like that movie. I know a lot of people kind of didn't love uh, uh, that movie or or I think didn't love the love it got maybe. Yeah, I think it's one of the more one of those like bullshit Oscar narrative things where it's like, people get mad at the movie because it's like a weird late favorite type thing or something like that. Yeah. Where like, even though it didn't win, I mean, that was right. What right, won? Right. It was, that was parasite one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. 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 That was, yeah. One of the great, one of the great, uh, best picture Oscar deliveries from the queen, Jane Fonda. Oh God. The best. I still run She's that back a... sometimes. I still just look at that clip. And it was great. so funny to think about the way it was like that Jane only a year or two, Right after Faye and Warren oh, just right, face planted, right, yeah. that Jane just like shows them and all of us how to do it the perfect way. Yeah. And you think of like, just did Jane and Warren, am I stupid? Did they make a movie together ever? Jane uh, and Warren? God, this is embarrassing. Feels, I should, I should, feels like a missed opportunity if they hadn't. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of like, no, they did. Hang on, hang on. No, <laughs> hang on, hang on. Hang on. They had to. Didn't, weren't they in? The wow, wait, did they never make a movie together? How is this possible? Missed up. Oh, you know, because I'm thinking of, I guess they never made a movie together because I'm thinking of The Chase. Oh, but that was Redford, right? Yeah, 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 correct. Because they made a few movies together, correct? Yes, and yeah, The Chase, um, Barefoot in the Park, Our Souls at Night, which is the Netflix movie, yep. Um, and they might also both be in. I'm looking at her one of her first movies, Tall Story. I think he might have a small role in it, maybe not. But anyway, um, sorry. So just to get to Poseidon. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't need to spend too much time on Poseidon. I forgot uh, about it. I forgot we were even talking about. Can you about tell Poseidon. we're dying to talk about it? Yeah, but just to wrap up the Troy thing. Yeah, it's like it's 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 like Gladiator opens this floodgate and re resparks this thing and. Yeah, I think Troy was just kind of the end of it. I just personally, I understand when people are like, that movie sucks. Like, I understand everything they're talking about. But to me, just on an entertainment level, there's also just like a lot to real. There's like a scenery chewing hamminess to that movie. That's like, I find really enjoyable. Um, yeah. But uh, and you know, he's great in that movie, actually. Bana. Bana. It's one of his best performances. Yeah, it's like that and the dry. Or like, and even and even or you know this Troy with Kingdom of Heaven and Elizabeth Town is the that's the Josh Lucas moment for Orlando Bloom. Yes, correct, correct. And unfortunately, I think Orlando Bloom did play to his strengths in those movies, but yeah. the strengths were quite literally weaknesses, if that yeah. makes sense. Right, which right, is right. like he yeah. he I think bravely plays the like the dude who diminutive kind of, characters. Yeah, yeah, agreed. In all three of those films, actually. And especially in Troy, where he's playing Paris, which like now granted in the mythology, Paris ends up saving the sword of Rome. And he is the one who ends up reestablishing Rome and blah, 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 or the sword of Troy, rather. But, yeah, right. But, but he establishes sa- Rome. But that's what yeah, I, yeah. yeah. But but he's the through line in the mythology. Right. Um, yeah. So that's great. But in the, but in the story of the Trojan War. <laughs> yeah. Paris is such he a just fucking sucks. asshole. Yeah, he's just, and he sucks. He's you know, because he, steal, he steals away Helen of Troy. And Bloom really plays it to the rafters, man. He like 
when he's fighting the king, yeah, it's uh, not, Brendan I mean, Gleeson, and he crawls to yeah. to Hector's, uh, you know, legs, and he begs. For, I mean, it's yeah. like really, it's it's emasculating an, stuff. Yeah, you it's, know, like, I was gonna. You mentioned diminutive. I think that's the perfect word. It's like an impressively diminutive performance. You're just like, oh wow, he just like because meanwhile, like also this is right after he's done playing Legolas in Lord of the Rings, and he's right. just started playing Will Turner in Pirates. Both very masculine, like well, masculine's the but, but like you know, Legolas. Errol Flynn. He's air, he's very, yeah, it's very yes. Errol Flynn. Yes, you correct. know, he's very like seafaring, seafaring, swashbuckling, suave, right? swashbuckling. Yeah, yeah ag- exactly. Um, it's funny because now I'm thinking like, oh man, Errol Flynn could have been Paris, and it would have been a great performance, probably. Um, I don't think Errol Flynn would have ever no, done it. Well, though. right. That's so. There you are. Right. That's the whole point. That's, I mean, that's yeah. I think Orlando Bloom almost unfortunately proves the like proves hollywood right in a way where yeah. it's like those roles we'll do, we'll do an orlando bloom b-side but anyway anyway so troy i think yeah to your point you know it's written by david benioff who, had, who goes on to um co-create game of thrones and i think you see the kind of the early nuggets uh, of 100 percent because they choose to basically they basically take all the magic out of the Trojan War mythology and make it a story about politics. Yes, correct. And any magic in the movie is kind of like hearsay. Like Julie Christie plays Achilles' um, mother. Achilles' mother. And there's like a suggestion of immortality. But it's like it's it's placed in the movie like Achilles basically being like kind of – Kind of maybe thinking it's horse shit. But then also maybe buying it. But maybe it. believing yeah. it. Yeah. Um, type of a thing. So you have that type of stuff. But like ultimately it's about Agamemnon and it's about the power struggles and it's about um Priam and Troy and you know, Brian Cox is Agamemnon and he's so good. And yeah. And um yeah, it's just an underrated movie. I think there's some of the best sword fighting in modern cinema in that movie. It's great. Yeah. And it's just big filmmaking. And then what's funny is Poseidon is two years later. And like feels, you said, does Wolfgang, feel like a logical next step, I would say. But a but a but a really a big deflation, yeah, in his career. And you know, he he look, he's eighty now, so he was in his sixties when they when he made Poseidon. So he hasn't made a movie since. And it's easy to say director's jail and all these things, and maybe that is, maybe there's some truth to that. But also, he's just got older and too. Yeah, like, I think right, and I think director's jail like isn't. If I'll say this, if it is a director's jail scenario, right, where like people are like, oh, but Poseidon will never hire him again or whatever. The way movies get made now, like it's like, I don't know, let Wolfgang make another movie. To your point, he's like 80 now. My counterpoint would be I think so it's is Ridley, yeah. like Ridley Scott. Well, fucking Clint Eastwood are still making movies. So but I but so the big difference, though, is they have like deals on lots in production like sure. producing credits yes, and like sure. development deals like you know really scott like owns you know he 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 green light shows like scott free runs shit right yeah, like sure you know scott free you know probably even as much as the movies is more important as an ad company i mean they make some of the best ads you see on tv that's ridley scott's company Right, like yeah. some of the best commercials, right? Like, so that's it's just a whole different economy. But we should but, say too, Wolfgang did make one. He has made one more movie. Really, it's a German crime comedy called Four Against the Bank, 
from 2016. What? Yeah, he basically went, but but hang on, went away for 10 years, like didn't make a movie for a decade. Oh, wow. I and did then, not know that. And then, uh, yeah, it's got Till Schweiger in it, who, any you know, you know him from, yeah. as Hugo Stiglitz in Inglorious Bastards. Um, and I'm trying to see if there's anybody else who's like, alone. he's kind of, he's the only name I recognize right now, but um, I'm not even. Well, no, M- Matthias um, Schweigerfer, which I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. He's the guy in um, these new uh, Army of Thieves. He's an Army of Thieves. Uh... He he di- he directed and starred in the Zack Snyder produced slash written prequel to the Army of the Dead army of thieves yeah, okay uh which is currently available on netflix which i have not seen but yes that's his but, most recent but yeah, yeah. basically poseidon puts wolfgang away for like a decade and yeah it's just um weirdly boring yeah i mean so like, the quick the quick premise is huge cruise liner new year's eve um they get hit by a rogue wave Indeed. It's an ensemble piece. They flip over. So they're upside down. Hull up. You know, slowly sinking. Josh Lucas is... Now, okay. What is his character? He's, like, okay, he's, a know, he's, he's a He's a gambler. He's a gambler. What I could piece together... because He's like, like a former soldier turned yeah, he's hustler. A, he's a basically. former sailor. He was in the Navy... There's like a line that Kurt Russell has where he's like, you were in the Navy or how long were you in the Navy? And he's like, too long. Right. It's like how, whatever. So Dylan Johns. Yeah. Like whatever. With <laughs> um, and, and weirdly, I will say this doesn't happen all the time with names like that. And actors does look like a Dylan Johns. Like, oh, it, lo- like yeah, it definitely looks like a Dylan. Yeah. Like it definitely fits. Kurt Russell, former mayor of New York, Robert Ramsey. Yeah, good name. Good name. Daughters on board with her erstwhile boyfriend, Emmy Rossum, and Mike, Mike Vogel, Vogel, who Vogel. almost yeah. got the role of, I don't know if you know this, Connor, Captain America. Yes, I did know that. Late in the running. Yeah. Late in the running for Captain America. Yeah. Good old Mike Vogel. Yeah. Um, uh, it was he also to- got Jacinda Barrett as a mom. Oh yeah, who somehow loses her son? I mean, this is something me and Kelly couldn't get over. I just have no, to say I, it. dude, I don't even have a kid, and it was driving. So me your kid, in first of all, insane rogue wave. Take the rogue wave away. Sure, okay? you are on a cruise ship with a young, what seven year old, whatever he is, ten, nine, <laughs> whatever the kid is. Connor's the kid is yeah. the character's name. You're on a cruise ship now. Granted, it's a cruise ship. You'll find him unless you're Jodie Foster on a plane and Peter Sarsgaard's a villain. Spoiler alert. But like you're in a contained place. So I guess that there's some comfort in that. But there's like thousands of people on the ship like Rogue Wave aside, you're not letting that kid get out of your sight. Obviously, what are you doing? Like who else is watching him? I can understand. And then Rogue Wave, add the Rogue Wave and she and add Every other person dies except for this core 10 or whatever. Yeah. And she's still finding herself being like, wait, wait, where's, wait. No, Connor, it's, it's, Connor. There's, there is like, 
I, I will say, so the first time the kid gets lost is after the boat capsizes, right? Which, oh, right. fair, right? The boat, it's whatever. I get it. And then but he, you meet, But you meet him by himself. Yes. Before. Yeah, 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 yeah. correct. With where and Josh Lucas just, is like, he, he, Josh Lucas, the turnaround, it's such a great turnaround. Josh Lucas like meets the kid and Josh Lucas is like performance decision is to be like, what's up, you fucking idiot kid, yeah. you stupid <laughs> piece of shit. And then he sees That's his like, mom and, then, and he's like, hey. He's like, hey, you're hot. What's up? And then like by the end of the movie, he's like, hey, you want to be my son? Like, it's like, yeah. So Dude, it's no, it's so it's so weird. Like, I think that's the other thing. Like, he and and not in a way that makes the arc or character or movie interesting. He's like, he feels really unlikable. Like, so it's not even in a way where you're like, oh, this dude's really unlikable. And then Josh Lucas. Yeah. And then yeah. It, it doesn't really ever translate into any. I, I'm sure that was the intention, right? I'm sure it was like. Well, I, I'm sure in the casting, they're thinking like he does a version of this in Sweet Home where he's kind of an asshole, but he's like a lovable, you know, homegrown asshole yeah like sure. the kind of guy you date in high school that you see on thanksgiving eve when you go to the local bar and you're kind of like oh sure, man sure. yeah good to see you but like you know but and you know, there's a soft spot but then it's that thing of like he is the third you know he is the not the third lead but he's he's the romantic second in sweet home alabama in this movie he is the action lead and yeah it's like dude relax a little bit yeah like, i don't know it's you know it's, it's a weird like it should have been and and here's the thing i'd be curious to know who like was lucas the first and they were like oh let's try this hot josh lucas right like and that could very well be true like it might like like we mentioned before like he was having a moment so it could be very possible that he was well, like the one that well, they wanted but there's like another part of me that i'm like i don't know they didn't try like they didn't try hugh jackman they didn't try like well, but what's weird too is this it's weird because it's also hard not to think this watching the movie obviously kurt russell's i guess too old to play that role but 15 years earlier russell would have crushed that yeah, role so it's weird to watch with him in it because you're like oh the light the the rogue like ability that's like russell yeah like that's russell's whole career when he turns it on is like that exact like overboard is that whole, that's all of overboard is like the only reason that crazy movie works right is because of goldie and kurt and like kurt just being this like right it's like there's a lot of that in kurt's career yeah and and you just for whatever lucas is doing it's just not working the same way you it's, know for whatever reason it's weird almost frankly because you know kurt's Kurt's up to the task in this movie too, in terms of like stunts and whatever, and you know, doing the stuff. So it is a little weird that they didn't just frame the movie around Kurt, if I'm being honest. But I get that they're readapting. You know, it's some combination of readapting the book and remaking the movie. So I I get that, but like it is, I don't know. It it feels weird because he just feels like more like natural in in the environment or whatever yeah the lead the lead in the the original movie was gene hagman mm -hmm. which if you ever it's definitely one of the weirdest he's the kurt russell character he's the because it's um isn't it red uh who is it in the other one well red buttons yeah. is, is the richard dreyfus character oh is he right i think that's what you're thinking of because red buttons i think it's i think it's red buttons right he he i'm just looking here 
Oh, not the novel. Come on. I want the novel. Come on, Lenny. No, yeah, I think you're I think you're right. I'm trying to find the I was reading a whole thing that had it had had like the comps. It had like the like what the uh So you have red buttons is James Martin. You Rowdy McDowell's in it. Um um Shelly Winters yep. is in it. Jack Albertson, obviously from um uh you know him from um the subject was roses and obviously Willy Wonka. Um Leslie Nielsen is right. the yeah. Andre Brower role, right? He's the captain. And Andre Brower in the new one. I mean, I love Andre Brower. I one of the weirdest performances I've ever he, seen. Like he he plays it like speaking of Laud- Laudanum, he plays it like he's on Laudanum. <laughs> like he's literally like I, he's like, look, we're gonna die. I don't know what to I, tell you. Like, it's it's also weird that he he's also like some him and Fergie hug, which I don't know. Yeah, like are they together? No, like so what? so hang on. So yeah, they're apparently I was reading about like a bunch of deleted scenes and whatever, but I guess he's having like a relationship with Fergie in the movie i mean Spe- who has okay, hang on. Spe- wanted to speaking have. of fergie <laughs> though why isn't it fucking josh duhamel instead of josh yeah. lucas right like that would have been josh he couldn't get out of vegas he couldn't get out of his days <laughs> on vegas <laughs> speaking of shows and then people is there anything more 06 than kevin dylan playing the brief comic not so um, comic relief yeah. <laughs> in this movie lucky larry you're like what and then i remember i so kelly goes we're watching a couple nights ago kelly's like kevin dylan i'm like yeah you gotta remember entourage entourage is popping right now and she's like oh my god like this is exactly the type of role you get in a movie when you're the like fourth lead in a hot show Right, like it was just so funny, like him being in the movie in that role. You're like, yeah, this feels, this feels. And like Kevin Dillon has this crazy mean exposition delivery line where he's like, he's like acting tough towards uh, uh, Kurt Russell, and he's like, oh yeah, I remember when you were married, you couldn't stick around though, couldn't keep your wife either, and I was like, bro. I was like, Jesus, <laughs> dude. I was like, you guys are trying to survive right now. Like, why are you antagonizing this dude? Like, it was so those there's there's a lot of like lines like well, that in this movie that yeah, is just very it's yeah. very it's just weird because it seems like half the time no one remembers like the situation that they're currently in, which drives me insane, you know? Right. That it's right. like, yeah, that they stop to be like, well, you and it's like Look, guys, aren't you on like a fucking sinking ship that's like upside down that like shouldn't even be floating? Anyway, yeah. It's- and there's like other crazy decisions. I mean, this is early in the movie, but like Richard Dreyfus basically plays this older gay man who yeah. is his him and his lo- his lover has not come on the cruise. His 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 partner has not come on the cruise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's broken up about it. And he's like with his friends uh, at the dinner basically and reveals them like oh there's he it wasn't work he broke up with me you know and he's like basically going to commit suicide at the beginning of this movie when he sees the rogue wave right and then he's one of these final survivors but in order to survive he is forced to by josh lucas's direction kick freddie Freddie rodriguez Rodriguez down down an elevator shaft yeah which I totally forgot about. Yeah. And like, there's not really ever a moment of like, 
there's no pause. What did I do? And there's also no pause for like, this is maybe why Josh Lucas feels unlikable the whole time. But like. I can appreciate that being a thing that happens in the movie to give things a little like, oh, I had to kill a guy to survive. Like, I get that. It's a movie about survival. It, it feels like a, a, a an appropriate thing to put in there as a sequence. But like, yeah, there's not even a moment where Josh Lucas isn't like, well, maybe if we grab this thing to pull you both up together, he's straight up like you got to kick him. He's Freddy's got to go. Like it's like a weird, and then and then like and then you would think you would think like Lucas would take a minute after to, to be like to, to grab Richard Drivers and be like, look, we had no choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we had to do this. They just keep they like just keep like moving. you know, I I told you to do this, like whatever. And then not even to mention then, so then they run into Mia Maestro. Yeah, who now tell me if I just missed this. Freddie Rodriguez made a deal with her to basically smuggle her onto the ship. So that she could see a dying um, family member, see a dying family member. It's not quite like an illegal crossing the board, like a legal border crossing type thing. It's more just like she couldn't afford the trip. It's like and softly illegal. I mean, you know, you know, it's I, a no, little I just less mean it's legal. Not, it's than... not like an immigration thing or something like that. No, it's like, no, it's, it's like, like it's legit. It, no, she no. like needs to get to because they're going to London, right? Or I believe so. Yeah. yeah. So it's that she just needs to get there to like see a dying family member. And but, then. But then, so Richard Dreyfus kind of befriends her. Yeah. And is it ever mentioned that well, he killed I, Freddie Rodriguez? Oh, no, not directly. No, but Freddie And Rodriguez. then he also is like semi-responsible for her death. <laughs> He's just killing these poor people, like left and right, and unintentionally, mind you, but still. Uh, um, and then the final thing I'll just say that just, and I know this is a big blockbuster movie, whatever. They are underwater so often in this movie. Oh, yeah. You would be dead. You know oh, how cold yeah. that water is? Yeah, yeah, Has freezing, no one seen freezing. Titanic? Yeah, freezing, freezing. It's sure. like a thousand knives that, stabbing which you all over your a, body. It's Yeah, it's a thing they never... It's a... And like, and to be clear, even if they're not in the North Atlantic or wherever the fuck, anywhere in the ocean, yeah, they would be. It's cold. They would be freezing. Yeah, that. And if they're going to London, spoiler, that's like the Titanic (laughs) route, basically. Come on, come on. It's a reverse Titanic. Um, Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't matter. They could. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like if you're in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. No matter where you are in the world, I feel fairly confident saying this. Go to go to fucking. California, go to Fiji. Yeah. At, in go 100 of miles night. off the coast of Fiji, and I'm, that's just going to be cold. Okay? It's going to be cold. Okay? Yeah. Like, what are we doing? What are I, we doing here? The, the weird thing is they – and this is the, the one thing that the movie culminates in. I'm going to soft spoil – not soft spoil. It's a spoiler, but whatever. Deal with it. Um, Or, or stop this and watch Poseidon, but we warned you. Um. So there's one death in the movie that I do think is well done and kind of effective when it happens. Agreed. I agree with that. And that is Kurt Russell's. And the what I love, what I do love, though, to your point about characters making decisions so so selfishly without thought to others, which like I don't think is a bad thing to put in a movie about survival, because obviously I'm sure people are like that not sure people are like that right but like but it is weird that the movie doesn't even try and address that those people are being selfish or whatever but they basically have to 
they finally get find a way out and it's through the propeller like tubes right but the propellers are on and they're moving the wrong way so it's like a giant gust of air coming back in through the tube and there's no way out right Mm -hmm. so they figure out oh we have to just reverse the direction of the propellers and then throw shit in them to like jam them up which feels like a dumb plan it's like what are you going to throw in there that's big enough but the movie makes it happen because it's a movie <laughs> but when when mike vogel he's like mike vogel's like yeah we could like throw trash in there and jam it up i'm like you fucking idiot you see that fucking propeller to you anyway whatever but <laughs> that propeller's cutting up whales yeah son. dude it's insane underwater it's dude. so many fucking dead manatee um and that, that thing is sullying ocean wildlife <laughs> daily. <laughs> and so whatever. So they but then they realize that the mechanism to change the direction of the propellers is like under 150 feet of water. And they, they have, there's a moment where they're talking about who's going to go and. Mike Vogel does, the, you know, does the young thing and he's like, I should go. It's got to be me. And he, and I swam I mean, in high school. Yeah, which he, he didn't, which he like lies about. But like, he's like, he's like, it got, it's got to be me because like I'm younger and you're a little older, Kurt. Right. <laughs> and granted, there's f- fair logic to that. He's a young, fit man. Fine. Yeah. Okay. But like, Kurt isn't even like are you sure kurt is straight up like yeah 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 it's gotta be you it's it's totally gotta be you and then when mike goes to talk to emmy rossum who's like barely there he's like you know tell me you love me blah 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 and then while that's happening kurt sees how much his daughter loves this man and kurt dives in the water right so kurt goes in the water and i i think what it is it's a combination of kurt giving a really great performance frankly Yep. And sound design, but and the only other comp I can honestly think of right now is um is uh uh Rogue, Rogue, Nation. Rogue Nation, which has yeah. also great sound design with this, but that like of like yeah. somebody yeah. drowning and you can just like on Kurt just Kurt convulsing with his whole body, you're like, Oh yeah, drowning fucking sucks. <laughs> like it's like it's a really amazing physical performance, and I remember my wife and I put this on last New Year's because, uh, you know, we were in a lockdown New Year. So it was just us, whatever. We were like perusing through New Year's movies and we kind of just had this on in the background and weren't really paying attention to it. And we like did not expect Kurt Russell to die. So we yeah. were just like like it happened. And I was like, Jesus Christ, there is uh, some there are some I will say there is some. um, There is some quite shocking violence in the movie that i kind of forgot about like sure. when everybody is dying like oh, at the, when when they way first hits and then when like the ballroom collapses like i guess it's bloodless which is why it's I right guess PG-13. but it's like it's like the propeller guy in titanic times like 50 it's like yeah you're you're yeah. kind of like fuck like <laughs> jesus yeah. Yeah, yeah, christ yeah, yeah. like and even to the point where like i guess i've i guess in my head you thought i thought that like hundreds lived right like in mm. a, a you know they figure out a way and other people follow type of a no, thing and the like only ones they're like six it's like nine people yeah. right it's like yeah. it's like and they're you know everybody else dies and like they show it sinking to the bottom of the ocean at the end i was like wow like quite dark actually darker than i had remembered whenever i first saw it um which might have even been in theaters actually but but um yeah, I mean, it's a forgettable movie. It's a bummer. It's Wolfgang's last uh, American film. Yeah. You know, it's nice that he made another film uh, back in his his, uh, his native country. But 
but I'd like for him to make another big movie. It feels obviously, you know, like you said, Ridley's the same age, so maybe, but um but even that i mean it's like gone, if it i mean ridley's still making big movies but he's he's like the only one making you know what i mean like wolfgang's not going to come back and make air force one wolfgang's gonna if wolfgang peterson were to direct another big movie he would be helming whatever the fucking dos boot equivalent is of a marvel movie right like it would be like we, yeah he would be yeah, we got like wolfgang to make the aquaman three yeah exactly exactly that. i mean they won't do that because i mean he's 80 years old but you're like you know, I would watch it. I'd see it. <laughs> Wolfgang um, makes Aquaman three. It's 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 like a it's like a sub sub uh, sub chamber piece, dude. Come on. <laughs> I'm there. But uh, but yeah, that's Poseidon. Um, and uh, what are other good? I mean, not that they don't have to be B sides. Other kind of memorable New Year's movies. No, well, you, you know, know, I mean, they're the, I, when I was trying to think of which ones we would talk about. This all started, by the way, because I had just made. For myself, for my December watching, I made a letterbox list of, you know, just off brand Christmas slash New Year's movies or whatever. I kept a couple staples on there, like Batman Returns and stuff. But I was just Phantom like, Thread. Yeah, I have yeah, Phantom Threads, a New Year's movie. Um, Trading Places. Is Citizen Kane technically a New Year's movie? I mean, I guess. Ocean's Eleven, the original. Right. Correct. Correct. Strange Days. Yes, which we covered in our which Angela is which is, a, which is great, a masterpiece, great New yeah. Year's movie. The um, the obviously the holiday the holiday ends on New Year's. Uh... Oh, but a movie I did watch, which is a great movie if you haven't seen it, uh, from the thirties, nineteen thirty one. Am I making that up? Uh, Holiday with Cary Grant and right. uh, Catherine Hepburn. Very good, just holiday movie, but but New Year's movie specifically. Carol. Carol, yeah. Holiday um, in, you know, like, you know. Did we say when Harry met Sally? That's the big that's the big one, right? That's the Right. I didn't say yeah. when Harry met when Harry met Sally. The, 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 the apartment, one. obviously, mm-hmm. which then when Harry met Sally has you know owes a lot to that one. Um Yeah, there's more than you would think, or at least more than I think of when I was like looking at it. Sure. I was like, oh yeah, about a boy's another one that kind of takes place around New Year's. That's yep. a, a underrated movie. Um and money yeah. isn't money train New Year's too, or is that oh, Christmas? Oh hell yeah, yeah money, money trains train, New Year's. Right. Entrapment, that's another one. Another New Year's. Um, Entrapment's kind of a special New Year one though, because it's like it specifically has to do with like the countdown to the millennium. And, oh yeah, and I believe like Y two K is like a part of it, kind of. Well, it's like the it's like the catalyst for yeah. the robbery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, because there's the fear they shut everything down. God, remember what? Remember Y2K fear? <laughs> remember, remember those lasers, dude? <laughs> oh, everybody remembers the lasers. Every, every, every man our age remembers those lasers <laughs> as a boy. The entrapment lasers. Um, but money train, same thing. It's like the hall on the train is yes. highest. At right. Layers. Correct. 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 Yeah, money train's great. Um, Money Train, a movie not unlike Malice, in which there is a B plot involving a psychopath killer, which is yeah, it's, but it's like an, he's, it's an arse, It's Chris Cooper plays like an arsonist, right? Yeah, he plays like yeah. an arsonist serial like, serial serial killer. killer. Yeah, and he like he like lights on fire the like if I'm remembering the subway cashier terminals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the booths. Yeah, correct. He like lights them on fire in a very horrible way. Like I remember that's like a thing yeah. about Money Train if. If you go back to Money Train in that way of like, oh yeah, Wes, Wesley and Woody, like yeah, sure, that movie's fun and it is, 
Oh, they you will then be reminded that there's like, that. yeah, you'll be reminded that there's like three horrifying scenes <laughs> where you're like, oh, <laughs> you fuck, right? Um, it'd be like if when white men can't jump, there was like, you know, a terrorist. <laughs> yeah, like, right, right. Like, what, are you like, you know, what is this other thing that's happening in this? It's place? like, let's go who baby, boom. Yeah, like like a whole, just a whole other genre of movie occurring on the side. Um um but, but yeah. yeah you're right wesley and woody should make a third one together that'd be great i'd watch it watch i mean you're out. telling me hulu won't just like yeah can i get fucking happen leonard but with like wesley and Hood oh my god are you like... kidding yeah or like just their pod they're like podcast hosts who talk <laughs> yeah, doesn't, about doesn't even need to like, you know it's like you know what you know they're like podcast hosts who talk about true crime and they get into a crime thing of their Give own them, come on i wrote let, it it's right naked it's let done let i did do it a fucking version of sunset limited or something um <laughs> oh well, that's all yeah <laughs> um but yeah that's that's it for us for the year for, yeah. for all that so uh enjoy your new year's yes. if you're listening as yeah, a, as whatever a, your uh, plans launches. are stay safe stay healthy please obviously um be smart be safe and uh dan where can people find you uh, DJ Mecca on Twitter, uh, the film stage always getting my Sundance viewing list ready. Um, well, I'll be virtual this year as I was last year, but excited to catch up with a lot of movies. Um, and that's it. Yeah. The, we got fun stuff coming in the new year that I'll let Connor kind of tease, but, but, you know, I just look, thank you for listening. We don't take it for granted. Obviously the film stage has been around a long time and the film stage show has been around a long time. We, are still new kids on the block comparatively, but we love the feedback. We love the, um, you know, the fandom. And we love that people seem to really appreciate kind of this very niche, like look that we take at films and, um, you know, we do it cause we love it. And obviously that's, well, that's I hate it. The, the, well, I've been, so this is new this information. I hate it. New, yeah. So 2022, <laughs> Connor's out. Uh, go go live a healthy, better life. But no, but thank you all for listening. Uh, we, we really sincerely appreciate it. And as I always do, Connor, why don't you close us out? Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Twitter at Scruffy Looking. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFSBside. As Dan mentioned, we have some fun stuff coming up in the new year in January. Uh, for any of you of our more ardent fans who might have been keeping score, we have not forgotten our remaining uh, audience choice episode, which we will be dropping uh, hopefully in January, if not February. Um, it's which, not Barbara, which is why I've just been in protest this whole time. It's, it has, <laughs> no, it's, it's not, not Streisand. It's Streisand. 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 Uh, no, it is. It's a new man. It's Paul Newman. Uh, so we'll be, we'll be doing that. That'll drop in the new year. And also in the new year, uh, we have already banked a really great conversation that we had with Joe Wright about his career. Um, and there are a lot of really fun little nuggets in there. He was very, uh, generous with his time and very, it was a very honest conversation, frankly. Uh, so I think it's made for a really good episode. I'm really excited to kind of start our new year off with it. So, uh, yeah, just keep your ears, eyes peeled on the feed in the new year for those. Uh, and no matter what you're doing with your new year's plans, just remember, don't go past me.